Listen, I'm going to get you to grab your Bibles. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to get there in a moment. But today we are celebrating those who have said yes to foster uh, care and adoption. And so we are uh, overwhelmed with joy of what God has done to these families. But also we are challenging all of New Beginnings Baptist Church to get in the fight Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to open up your home to a child in need, uh, but all of us are called to be in the fight, whether that's through just encouraging uh, those families who are in the trenches of fostering or in the process of adoption, who have adopted, providing a meal for them every now and then, just to tell them you're thinking about them, writing them a note, uh, just encouraging these families who um, are having children into their home who need a place to call home. Uh, You could get involved by getting trained for respite care, uh, of learning what it looks like for you to be certified so that families who are fostering, who have a lot of parameters of who can watch the children that are in their home. So that might be something you could do uh, to give these moms and dads a break every now and then. Encourage you to be praying through that. Another way that you can get involved is financially, as was mentioned earlier. Adoption is, is expensive. And so uh, maybe it's, it's you know a family who is attempting to adopt and God's not called you to adopt, but he has called all of us to be involved. So maybe you would help uh, provide resources necessary for families. Um, But all of us are called to get involved. Maybe you've got questions about what it looked like for you to actually foster or adopt. We got an agency in the foyer with us today. Encourage you between services, go out there and and, and get information about respite care or maybe even becoming a foster adoption uh, family. But what I want to do this morning over the next few minutes is I want us to see today that this whole emphasis on fostering and adoption of welcoming children who need a home into our home is not something we do because it's a social need. It's something we do because it flows from the heart of the gospel. That this is not something we do because society has a need. No, no, no. Because of the gospel, we want to run and meet that need. It all flows from this whole idea of what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I want us to see this morning the, uh, the doctrine of adoption, the doctrine of spiritual adoption. The doctrine of adoption is one of the most life-transforming aspects of the gospel. It allows us to see God's love for us and the depth of his mercy and grace shown toward us that we, even though we are spiritual orphans, might become children of God. This is a mind-blowing thought that God can be known not just as a, a being that's out there, this creator, but rather because of the work of Jesus, we who were far from him might be brought near to him to have a personal relationship. And that personal relationship is um, the, the fact that we can know God as father because of spiritual adoption. This is an unbelievable unbelievable thing. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, sonship to God... Our sonship to God is the apex, listen to this, of creation and the goal of redemption. That we could become sons of God is the apex of creation, and it's the absolute goal we're going to see this morning of redemption. J.I. Packer, great theologian, says this. He says, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, that there is no gift that we have received in Christ that has a higher place than the fact that we could be adopted by God. And I want us to have our minds blown this morning. John, the writer of 1 John, the disciple of Jesus, he says this, and listen to this. 
He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So John is going, I want you to have your minds blown at the love of God. I want you to see the kind of love that God has for us. It's it's beyond comprehension. So what is it about this love that blows John's mind? He says that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. John is saying, "I, I I can't believe God's love is so amazing that we who have no right in of ourselves might actually be called children of God. You see, this should be a truth that just blows our mind. And I'm hoping today that we all could leave this place having the same heart of the Apostle John, that what kind of love is this that I could be called a child of God? That is the heartbeat today. So with that in mind, grab your Bibles, Galatians chapter four. This is where we're gonna be. If you're there, say, I'm there. Uh, Paul is writing the book of Galatians and we preached through this book a couple of years ago. He's writing this book to Help a church who has been drifting into false doctrine, into false gospels. A church that has been led astray by teachings that were not consistent with the gospel. He writes the entire letter to help them understand that they cannot be distracted by false teaching, but rather they must hold truth to the gospel. And so he systematically explains to them why the gospel of Jesus is superior to anything we might philosophy or or teaching that they might see in culture, that they should hold to the gospel because it is the only way by which we are saved. And tucked right in the middle of this explanation of the gospel, we find Paul talking about this doctrine of adoption. Look what he says in verse number four of Galatians chapter four. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now listen to this. If you're a note taker, highlight person, circle stuff in your Bible, make little notes. And I encourage every single one of you to do this. Don't just read the words on the wall and have the copy in your hand. I want you to underline, highlight, star, put a note beside these two powerful words. So that. This is a purpose clause. Whenever you see so that, He is telling you the reason he did what he just told you he did. Look at what he says again. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they, that we rather, might receive adoption as sons because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. He says the reason Christ came to redeem us was so that we might be adopted as sons of God. Now, I want to do something this morning. I want you to get you to write down three words that really jump out at me in this text. Three words that really jump out that help us understand what the doctrine of adoption means for you and me today. The first word, if you're a note taker, write this down. I want you to write down the word loved. Loved. You are loved by God. This is what we learn from this doctrine of adoption, that we are loved by God. Look what he says again in verse number four. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, listen to this, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, how many of you in this room this morning are Christmas people? Anybody excited about Christmas coming? All right, now, 
I'm going to find out who really is all about Christmas. How many of you have already put up your tree and have decorated in this place? That's what I'm talking about. You are my people, all right? You are my people. I mean, only spiritual people do that. Only people who really love Jesus. And I'm, teas- I'm teasing. So we, we, COVID has done something. I'm seeing more Christmas decorations up earlier than I've ever seen before. In fact, our family might have been the first. November 1 was when we put our Christmas tree up. And we decorated the entire house and we've been decorating ever since. We're going all out this year. Uh, we need a little joy and a little jolly in our home today. So uh, we, we love Christmas. And this morning, as we confess to you on the way here, I have to, I have to, I, I fought an urge. Like, like then there's, Chris, there's Christmas decorations, then there's Christmas music, and it's all sacred in our home. And so on the way here, I was like, hey, what am I going to listen to to get my heart right, ready to preach this morning? And I pulled up my playlist, and I was so close to hitting the button to play some Christmas music for the first time this season. And I, I denied, I resisted. How many of you have li- listened to Christmas music already? Raise your hand. Some of you, okay, good. Some really spiritual people in here. I feel, I feel like I need to repent today because I didn't do it. So we're going to Thanksgiving dinner at Nana's house in Arkansas, and uh, we're going to be listening to some Christmas music on the way. But this is what Paul is talking about here, the coming of Christ. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God had promised that a Messiah, a Redeemer was coming to redeem humanity from our sin. And he says, in just the right moment, Jesus came. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This is a way for Paul to say that Jesus is God in the flesh. Deity veiled and clothed in humanity. 100% man, 100% God. And just the right time, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh comes to earth. Now look what he says next. He says, born under the law. Now why is this so important? That God comes in the flesh, born of a woman, and listen to this, born under the law because Jesus came to live under the same demand and the same expectation that you and I are expected to live under in regards to obedience to God's law. Do you realize this morning that Jesus, when he put on flesh and dwelt among us, that every righteous demand that God has for all of humanity, that was also demanded of Jesus to live? is that Jesus chose to willfully subject himself to God's law, to the demands of God. And here is the great news for you and I, is that Jesus kept them perfectly. Is that Jesus not only lived in submission to the demands of the law, but Jesus met every single demand that God had. The perfection of what we are not, Jesus is. And this is possible because he was born of a woman, he was born under the law, and therefore, because Jesus lived perfectly under the law, he was able to provide something for us. Look what it says in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, notice what Paul is saying here, is that Jesus puts on flesh, dwells among us. The same demands that we have, Jesus lived perfectly so that he might die in our place, redeeming us from the demands of the law. In other words, so we failed at obeying the law. Everybody say amen to that. It would only take one or two testimonies from the person sitting close to you for us to all get nailed in the room, right? That none of us have met God's expectations. So we, we are living under the demands of the law. None of us have met the law, but because Jesus lived under the demands of law and met the law, if we are in Christ, we are redeemed from being under the law. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer under the penalty and the weight of our sin because of Christ. Now look what he says here. He says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, in love, God moved heaven and earth to make us his own. We are loved by God. You see, Jesus was sent by God to redeem us in order to adopt us. To redeem something means, in this particular context, to, to redeem was the idea of buying a slave out of bondage. To release, be released from the, the bondage of slavery because the price was paid in order for the slave to be set free. But see, the beauty of the gospel is not just that we are slaves who have been set free from our slavery, but no, we are not only set free from our slavery, we now have been engrafted as sons into the kingdom of God because we belong to him now in Christ. You see, this is the beauty of what Jesus does for you and me. You see, Jesus paid the full price demanded for our sin and he has now set us free. And in setting us free, he has made us his own. The word adoption here in the original language is a compound Greek word. And this word literally means the placement of a son. The placement of a son. That we have been redeemed from the slavery of sin. And now we have been placed in the family of God as his sons. And why did God do this? Because he loves us. You say, how does this happen? You see, by nature, we are sinners, which means, listen, because of our sins, we are spiritual orphans. We are spiritually, spiritually orphans. I know a lot of people in our culture today say, hey, man, we're, we're all uh, children of God. I mean, we're all children of God. Listen, there, there's, there's nothing that can be further from the truth in that statement. We are not all children of God. We are all created in God's image. Therefore, we should show respect and love and appreciation because of the image of God is upon our hearts. But listen, because of our sins, the scripture says we are spiritual orphans. We have been separated from our relationship with God. And there is no way by which we and of ourselves could ever become the children of God on our own. Not by our best efforts, not by what we do. We are spiritual orphans. But the Bible also says this, check this out. But God in love sent Jesus to die for our sins and he resurrected from the grave so that by faith in him, we might have a spiritual birth, that we might be born again and adopted into the family of God. I love what W.A. Criswell, great pastor and theologian says. He says, but in Christ the gift of sonship is bestowed upon us and we are adopted into the family of God, not by our poor works. Do we buy it, gain it, win it, achieve it? But it is something that God does for us. Church, do you realize this morning that your place in God's family has been set forever because Jesus took your place on the cross? Now think about this for a moment. Your place in the house is because Jesus took your place on the cross. He paid the debt. He paid the price. Just think about this for a moment. A family who is moved to be obedient to adoption and says that we're going to adopt this child. There's an immediate heart connection of love for this child. But there's a price to be paid for this adoption to take place. $35,000 we heard just a little bit ago. 
35,000, sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a lot more. And so regardless of what the price of the adoption is, here's one consistent reality in every single adoption. That child has nothing of his own or her own means to pay for their own adoption. They don't have the credit for it. They've not done anything to earn it. They don't have the money to pay for it. Never has there been an orphan that has the financial ability to fund their own adoption. Why? Their adoption is fully upon the graciousness of the family being willing to pay the price that they couldn't pay in order they can receive something they didn't earn, which is to be adopted into the family that is taking them in. And the same is true for us spiritually. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we who are distant from God, spiritual orphans, might become something we were not before, not because we earned it, paid for it, or had some sort of credit in it ourselves to deserve it, but because of God and his love and mercy paid it for us. Is there anybody thankful for that today? This is what Christ has done for us. This is what he has done. I mean, this should bring some absolute stability and peace into our life. I mean, for so many people in their life, we, we live in fear. We, we live in anxiety of, man, if, if, what does God think about me? And we live in uncertainty about our relationship with God, which causes us to our prayer life to grow cold and our worship to be stale and stagnant because there's always this sense of, I don't know that I measure up to God and, and, and can meet his expectations. But here's the reality for you and me. Listen, because of what Christ has done and we've been adopted into the family of God, listen, that means that we don't have to live in fear of our heavenly father. We can run to him with open arms because we know we are loved by him. Amen? Here's word number two. The first word was loved. The second one is belong. You belong to God. You belong to God. Galatians chapter four, verse six. Look what he says here. And because, check this out, underline this, you are sons. He's speaking to believers. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so God gave us the spirit, his, the Holy Spirit, when we embrace the son. And this is the evidence of our adoption, the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is talking about the doctrine of adoption. He says, listen, you have been sealed as God's possession, as his child, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. This confirms that you belong to him, that you were his. Now, I love this because he says, because of this, we cry, Abba, Father, you, you, you are the sons of God. The word crying here, I love this. It describes deep feeling of emotion, the deep feeling of emotion. The original language here, uh, it's the idea of an unhearsed communication, and, it, and it, it kind of gives the picture of confidence, unrehearsed communication, giving the picture of confidence. See what I mean? Um, when my kids, my kids, because of the security of the relationship they have with me, um, you know, they, 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 as they grow old, you know, they're young, they're like, daddy, daddy, daddy. Then it's like dad. And it's like, hey, you know what I'm talking about? If you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. And then it's just like, I mean, that's, that's kind of where it, it trends, right? But here's what's amazing, regardless of how they communicate as they get older, when there is something to celebrate, 
when there is something to grieve, when there's pain felt, my kids know that they ha I have an open door. There is never a moment when there is something. When my daughter, a couple weeks ago, something, some great things happened. She calls me, Dad, did you hear? Did you see? And she, she's overwhelmed with this news in her life. So what does she do? I mean, I'm the first phone call. And it's like, Dad, can you believe this? And she, no hesitancy whatsoever. My son broke his arm. Check this out. This is 2020. So 2020. He breaks his arm. He's in a cast for six weeks. Gets the cast off. Three days later, breaks the same arm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's wrapped in bubble wrap right now. <laughs> when my little one, when something hurts her feelings, she's supposed to get on my lap and cry. So when my kids feel something, so for instance, when my son broke his hand, uh, I knew something was wrong. I could see it in his face. And we were at basketball practice and he fell and we got up. He was trying to be tough in front of the guys. And I knew something was wrong. And what my son didn't do in the moment, hey, Dad, can I have a little time out here? He didn't go over to the bleachers and get his notebook out and try to think through what he should say to me. And to kind of come up with some script and, and, and kind of rehearse it and walk over to me. And, and he, he didn't do this. He didn't say, uh, dear, great, and gracious earthly father, if it be thy will, let me bring this one petition to you. I think if my arm is broken, if, because we always pray in the King James, right? And if it be thy will, could I please go to the emergency rooms where I can get a cast? But nevertheless, if it's not thy will, let your will be done, right? No, if he would have said this, I'd have been like, what have you been smoking, drinking, chewing? What, what is going on? No, 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 what does he do? He just comes over to me, tears rolling down his face, trying to be tough in front of his friends. It was like, Daddy, I think my hand's broke. No rehearse. And what do I do? Hey, buddy, come here. Let's get this taken care of. Why? Because he knows he belongs to me. And therefore, if he's happy, if he's sad, if he's hurting, he runs to me. And there's no rehearsed, there's no practice, there's no I hope I get the words right or I'm going to get rejected. No, no, no. He runs to me crying, Abba, Daddy, help. And here is what Paul says to you and I in this passage. Because in Christ we belong to him, we know him as father and the Holy Spirit is in us and therefore our hearts now cry out because we know we belong to him. We can cry out with confidence, Abba, Father, Daddy, my God, I can run to him. And by the way, the word Abba here is the, the Hebrew word for father or daddy. It's a term of endearment. It's the word Jesus would have used when he prayed and interacted with the Father, which means because we belong to God the Father, we can go to him just like Jesus did. We belong to him, which leads me to word number three. Word number three is identity. Identity. Listen, you are now identified as sons of God. You are identified as sons of God. Look what he says in verse seven. I love this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Now notice what he says. First of all, your status has changed. You are no longer a slave. A slave to what? A slave to sin. A slave to death. A slave to the consequences of the brokenness that sin has brought into this world. That is who you were, but that's not who you are. Some of us feel like so often that we are nothing more than than spiritual slaves, like the enemy has our number and we are in bondage to whatever temptation he throws our way. But if you are in Christ, here's what you need to know this morning. You are no longer a slave to sin or the enemy. You've been set free in Christ. You have a new identity, so you are no longer, listen, who you were. The old sin, the old habits, the old decisions that the enemy wants to bring into your life and whisper in your ear and remind you of what you used to do and the things that, places you used to go and the person you used to be, you are no longer that person anymore. You have been set free. You are no longer to live under the bondage of sin and shame. But here is the greater news. So it's not just that he set you free from being slaves. But no, 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 no. He has replaced the identity of slave now with sonship you now belong to him and your identity is that you are a son of God we become sons which means we have full and complete access to everything that belongs to the father you are no longer just a sinner saved by grace you are now a son of God and I love what he says this is who you are just think about this for a moment we think about adoption, we think about the number of children that are out there, and here is the, listen, here is the identity of a child in need of adoption. They are identified as what? As an orphan. That's their classification in society. Motherless, fatherless, homeless. They are a, an orphan. But the moment that paper is signed and that judge declares, and I've been in the, a number of courtrooms with church families of new beginnings. When that judge makes the declaration that this child now is the son or the daughter of this family, something happens in the moment. That child receives a brand new identity. No longer will they ever be called an orphan again. Why? Because they are a son or a daughter to this family. Their status has completely changed. Their identity is now rooted not in what they were, but into who they belong to and who they are now. In Christ, you are no longer a spiritual orphan. I love this. You're not a slave, you're a son. And if you're a son, you know what that means? You're no longer a beggar who was broken spiritually. He says you're an heir with Christ so that every blessing that belongs to Jesus that is now ours in him. Listen, I am not a spiritual beggar. And if you're in Christ, you are not a spiritual beggar. We are sons of God, which means everything that is ours in Christ belongs now to us. I love this. Check this out. Check this out. Because this is our status, we are sons of God. And because that status is ours, because we are in Christ, now eyes right here for a minute. That means 
the way in which the Father sees the Son, Jesus, is now the way that He sees you. You need to let that sink in. If we are in Christ, that means we have been clothed in the perfection and the righteousness of Christ. So that when your heavenly Father, some of you think that the heavenly Father just looks at you with its perpetual disappointment. And you live with this constant fear. I got to measure up. I got to measure up. I got to measure up. And let me tell you, there have been seasons of my life where I've been so hard on my kids that my kids feel like they can never please me. Any parents guilty of that in the room? That does not produce joy in the hearts of our children. And it does not draw them near. It pushes them further away. But the more my children can rest in the fact that there's nothing they could do to make me love them any more and nothing they could do to make them love me any less, it does not lead them to hearts of rebellion. It leads them to hearts that delight in pleasing their father, not because they're earning something, but because something is already theirs. And oh, the transformation would happen in our life when we would realize that that's the way the father looks at us. Remember Mark chapter Mark. I think in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus was starting his earthly, Mark, maybe one, starting his earthly ministry. He's baptized. I love what happens in that moment. Jesus has not performed one miracle. He has not called one disciple. He has not gone to the cross. He has not resurrected. But the Father speaks in that moment and says to everyone, hey, this is my beloved Son. In Him, I am well pleased. Church family, listen to me. Because your new identity is rooted in Christ and you have been made sons of God, that means that when God the Father looks at you in Christ, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How glorious is that? Now, let's just tackle the elephant in the room. Why all this talk of sonship? Don't daughters matter as well? I mean, let's be honest. Let's just look at it through the lens of 2020. We're offended by everything these days, right? And so we look at this and we think, okay, this is offensive because in this passage, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 26, you hear, hear this, this, you are sons repeated over and over and over again. And oftentimes this is an offense. And so here's what we do. Okay, we've got we to make it more socially acceptable. Let's scratch out the word sons. Let's just put children. Make everybody happy. Or maybe if you're a female, we'll just scratch that out and put daughter. Because after all, women deserve a spot as well, right? Amen? I'd be scared to say amen right now. <laughs> but we don't want to do that. Because there's something when he continues to repeat this word, you are sons of God, sons of God. Now, in the audience, this letter was not just written to men. It was written to the church. And in that room would have been men and women. So why does he repeat sons, 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 sons? It's because culturally speaking, only the sons had the rights of the family and the rights of the inheritance. In fact, Tim Keller says this. He says, in most ancient cultures, daughters could not inherit property. Therefore, son meant legal heir. 
which was a status forbidden to women. But the gospel tells us that we are all sons of God in Christ and we are all heirs. So when he repeats sons over and over and over again, he is speaking to both men and women saying that in Christ, all of you are now sons of God. All of you have full family rights and the rights of the inheritance, which means no matter who you are, what you've done, what gender you are, what race you are, what socioeconomic status you have, every single one of us in this room, if we are in Christ, we are sons of God, which means we have every Everything that belongs to the family of God is now ours because we in Christ belong to him. Now that should cause somebody to be excited today. We are all sons. And this is what we embrace. This is what we embrace as our new identity. This is why we are heirs. And we don't deserve it. I mean, do you get that today? Like, I think sometimes we think, sure he did. Yeah, sure Jesus died for us. I mean, who wouldn't? God loves you. Of course he does. And we fail to realize what a wretch we really are. I was thinking about this. There was a story I heard several years ago about a family who was wanting to adopt. And they knew it was international adoption, so they traveled to a country they felt like that they wanted to adopt from, and they wrote a description of the type of child they feel like they were equipped to have. And they had very detailed. We want this gender. Uh, we want this age range. We want uh, maybe this type of personality because this is what we feel like we can do. Here are the parameters. And in there, they kind of said, look, we're not opposed to somebody with special needs, but it certainly would not fit our criteria. And really, they put that on there just so that they could have their conscience eased. So they get over... And they're in this room and they're meeting with the adoption agency and the social worker comes in and says, we're going to bring a number of kids in here that meet the profile. Some of them do very clearly. Some of them are kind of on the fence. And so one by one, they're sitting here and they're meeting all of these kids being paraded in front. They're meeting all these potential future children. And then they said, look, there's, there's one of the kids we're going to bring him in. He doesn't fit your profile, but we, we feel like we've got to give him opportunity, so we're going to bring him in. And they bring in this little boy and he's got such deformities. High special needs little baby. And of course their heart was immediately broken, but he didn't meet the profile, didn't fit the picture of what they wanted. And they just said, thank you for bringing him out, but we'll, we'll pray about it, knowing that they weren't gonna pray about it. And they left and said, we're gonna kind of discuss all the kids that we've seen and we'll come back tomorrow and see if we can't narrow down our selection. And they went to bed and about three in the morning, this woman wakes up and she's just crying. She's out of control and she's shaking her husband. She says, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. God, God told me something. God told me something. He's like, what is wrong? And she says, we need the little baby. We need the little baby that's broken. We need the little baby with special needs. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, in a dream, I was in this arena, and this arena had thousands and thousands of people, and the thousands of people were there to adopt children. In the very middle of the arena, they would bring these babies out one by one, and these beautiful babies would come, and, and they would say, who wants this child? And hands would go up everywhere, and their families would run, and they would embrace the child, and they would take them out. One by one. 
children came and children went and people were so eager to adopt these perfect little babies and then finally there was one baby with such deformities such special needs and the moment that baby was there the place went silent no one wanted this baby who wants this baby no one answered in the middle of the crowd, one man stood up. And he walked to the front. And he grabbed the baby and he held the baby tight. And she said, and then the, ba- the man turned and he looked my way and it was Jesus. And she said, I began to weep in my dream. I'm looking at this and there's Jesus' face. And she said, I got to see the baby. And so all of a sudden it felt like I zoomed in and the cover was taken off the baby's face and the baby looked my way and it was me. And she told her husband and she says, I realized in that dream what Jesus had done for me and I want the baby that's just like me. So they went back and they adopted this little boy, took him into the family. Church family, I want you to hear me say this morning, that baby is you, and that baby is me. This is who we are. We are broken. We are spiritually deformed. There is nothing in us that would cause God to be moved because we've done something, because we fit the part, because we met the expectation. No, no, no. We, we have nothing to offer and everything to receive. And just like that story, listen, Jesus has embraced us and he has made us his own. And church family, I want you to know today. I want you to know today. But if there's anything we discover in the gospel in this doctrine of adoption, it is simply this. You are loved by God. And now in Christ, you belong to Him. And you've been given a new identity which should change everything about who you are. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and I'm going to pray over you and we're going to be dismissed. Pastor Matt's going to come up. Some of you in the room this morning, the truth is you need to be adopted. You need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Give him your life. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then right now you can do that. You can simply confess that you're a sinner. Trust that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to pay the price for your sin and ask him to be the Lord and the boss of your life. And here's what he says he'll do. He will adopt you into his family, redeem you from your sin, and make you his very own. If you've never done that right now, just do that. And then when this service is over, I want you to make sure that you, Pastor Matt's gonna be hanging up here at the front when we dismiss Come and let him know. Others of you in this room this morning, you feel like God is a million miles away. And this season of coronavirus has caused you to to doubt everything about God's love for you. But I want you to know if you're in Christ today, that you are loved by him. He has not forgotten you. 
You belong to him. He will not abandon you. And you have an identity in him and you are not defined by whatever circumstances you're going through. And maybe today you would just cry out, Abba, Father, and run to your daddy with open arms. Others of you in this room this morning, maybe God has stirred in your heart because of what God has done for you, a desire to go and be a, a person who wants to extend that invitation to children in need. Maybe you want to be an adoptive parent or a foster family. Whatever it is, you walk in obedience to it. God of heaven and earth, we love you and we thank you for who you are, what you've done. And we ask now in the name of Jesus, you would save those who need to be saved. Bring those who feel like you're far from them near to your heart and that you would lead us into obedience in whatever capacity you've called us to get in this fight for children in our community. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said,